Hello and welcome to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito, and we're here for episode 272 and my conversation with Maryland-based percussion freelancer, educator, performer, and founder of the DMV Music Academy, Donnie Johns. We are in the midst of finals here at Mizzou, and hopefully we will be finishing all of it up very soon. I just sat through a wonderful set of percussion juries under the tutelage of previous podcast guest and head of percussion activities at Mizzou, Dr. Megan Arndt, and I'm awaiting a number of assignments, quizzes, and other items I need to grade and get finished up for this semester. So, there's that. All right, enough there. Let's get to today's guest. Donnie Johns was part of the Color of Music orchestral percussion section that performed at PASIC, and they were the first all-African-American orchestral section to play there. He, along with leader and Pete's UNCG doctoral classmate, Sean Daniels, as well as previous podcast guests, Javon Milford and Thomas Spann Jr., along with Marsha McCants, Malcolm Jackson, and Emmanuel Scott, performed a concert at PASIC that included works either solely written and or arranged by African-American composers. It was a concert that, for me, was double-booked with another session I wanted to attend, so I was only able to catch the tail end of it. But it was very well attended, and everyone I talked to who went to it really enjoyed it. So congrats to Donnie and the rest of the group. Donnie Johns is very active in Maryland and Virginia and surrounding areas, working as a freelancer, percussionist, professor, and performer. He's doing incredible work with the DMV Music Academy that he founded and directs, and he's finishing up his doctoral work at Shenandoah University with previous podcast guest Carly Vina. It was a blast getting to talk to him about all of his activities and quite a bit more, and I also found out that he has, for a long time, known one of my Mizzou colleagues and one of our real shining stars in the School of Music faculty community, Horn Professor Amanda Collins. That was awesome to hear, and let's get to the interview. We recorded this over Zoom on October 26th, 2021, and it begins right now. So, Donnie, what you will all be presenting at PASIC, and also tell us when it is happening. I am part of the Color of Music Festival Orchestra percussion section. Um, The Color of Music is an ensemble that features and highlights classical musicians of African descent. And it's been in existence since 2013. I've been in the group since 2014. And we perform all over the country. We've been in, uh, see, Pittsburgh, D.C., Charleston, Houston, just to name a few, uh, Sacramento. And the percussion section is going to perform works written by Black composers um, at this year's PASIC. And it's really really exciting. We're going to do a collection of of solo literature, percussion ensemble literature. Um, And again, it's all um, highlighting, featuring uh, uh, Black uh, composers. Where is the orchestra based? So we... 
started off being centralized in Charleston, South Carolina. The um, executive director is a man named Lee Pringle, and he's from that area. And so our first couple of years, we were exclusively in Charleston, South Carolina. And then over the last uh, four or five years, we've expanded into various cities around the country. Excellent. How did you get connected with the group? Excellent question. I think <laughs> I have to remember. So went to the University of Maryland and my last year at Maryland, I studied with um, Javon Gilliam, who's principal timpanist to National Symphony. Um, he and I are really great friends now. And um, I think they originally had asked him to be a part of the orchestra, if I remember correctly. And, um, you know, he's a pretty busy guy. And so yeah. he wasn't able to do it. And um, he offered it to me and, and I've been, been a part of it since. I've actually, um, I, I do pretty well. Um, with his leftovers. So shout out to Javon. <laughs> shout out to Javon. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. What a great dude. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's awesome. The group of you who are performing, have all of you, is it, um, you know, a group that's been with, uh, this orchestra for a while or, or is, is it still like kind of some new newcomers to it? Yeah. It's really a, a collection of kind of both. We have some, Orchestra members who have been there pretty much since the beginning and do most of the performances, but there's also plenty of space for new uh, players as well. All of us, most of us are either full-time professional musicians, freelancers, collegiate teachers, and so we all have busy schedules in our own right. And so every um, iteration isn't able to have the exact same players, but I would say probably a good two-thirds of the players are players who do it pretty much every time. And how often does this ensemble meet and perform? During yeah, so typically, typically I would say maybe three or four times a year. Mm -hmm. You know, we do pretty much quarterly. Um, you know, as with any other large ensemble, it's a lar major financial undertaking, and so you know, it's as often as we can fundraise and, and rise support and, and kind of get the, the financial backing there. So in general, about three or four times a year. Who came up with the idea of of making this a PASIC idea? Yes, this is all Dr. Sean Daniels. He nice. is on the board of advisors at uh, for PASIC. He's um, was longtime percussion director of Tennessee State. Now he's currently the chairperson of, of fine arts at Alcorn State University, HBCU in Mississippi. Mm -hmm. And he has been um, just the primary person in pioneering this whole event. Um, you know, we're performing some of his works. Super excited about that. And um, he's just for years been um, one of the main individuals kind of pushing for, you know, equity and diversity and representation um, with PASIC. And certainly that's become, you know, a primary goal over the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, but he, he's been doing the work for a long time, well well before it was popular. So, I, again, I got to give him a shout out as well. Yeah. I And he and I actually go back. We did our doctorates together at UNC Greensboro. So, oh, really? Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. He talks very highly about, about his, his time there in that percussion ensemble. You guys are, y'all were some you know, hot stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was a lot of fun. Um, I know yeah. it was, it was crazy for him because I believe he was at Hampton. Yeah, that's uh, right. When that was when he was doing that. And like, I think he, like his, he had just had a very young child. It was just, mm -hmm. I don't know how he pulled it off because it was a because he's like he had a full time job, he was yeah. getting a doctorate, young family. It was just yep. yeah, yep. 
I'm telling you that talk about this, the sacrifices. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Tell me a little bit of how, how you've all organized the program that you're going to perform. Much of it, most of it is um, Dr. Sean Daniels, his, his kind of brainchild. Um, he and I have been with Color of Music. He's principal timpanist, I'm principal percussion, and we are, you know, kind of the primary players in the group. And then um, the other members of the section have played play with some frequency as well. Um, you know, depending, of course, depending on the programming, we don't always have large percussion sections. And so, sure. you know, it just depends on who's needed for that program. But for this basic program, he selected the repertoire. Um, he definitely, you know, consulted me with some, there's one of my ideas with different things, but, you know, I, he, he is the leader with this and, you know, I, I trust what he's put into it. And, you know, it's mainly been his, his idea again, you know, I think we're doing pieces, um, a couple of his pieces. We're doing an arrangement um, from Rimba Quartet of a Florence Price uh, piece written written for organ called Adoration. Oh, and here, yeah, and it's a beautiful, lush, you know, warm uh, piece written, a beautiful piece written for organ mm-hmm. that he then arranged from Rimba Quartet. And so we're gonna play that. Um, we're gonna play some pieces by Rainer Carroll. Um, we're gonna play some pieces um, just by a handful of of, of great and, and often under. Um, represented uh, black composers, and so really excited about about the program as a whole. We're going to do some um, African style pieces, kind of Afro Cuban style mm-hmm. pieces, and more more traditional classical pieces. Again, the Florence Price Rumba Quartet. Yep. So you're going to see a, a wide variety of percussion instruments being uh, being highlighted as well. So it's going to be exciting. Yeah, and who are the other members of the group that are playing at Pasic? So we have um, Javon Milford. Mm-hmm. who is the percussion director at Allen University mm-hmm. in uh, South Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina. We have uh, Thomas Spann Jr., who mm-hmm. is the marching band director at Fisk University in mm-hmm. Nashville. Um, we have um, Emmanuel uh, Scott, who is a former student of, of Sean. And then we also have uh, Marcia McCants, who just finished up her master's degree at George Mason University in Northern Virginia. I forgot Malcolm Jackson, who also a former student of Dr. Daniels, um, finished his master's degree at University of Memphis recently, I believe, and mm. lives in Houston. Gotcha, gotcha. I, this it's interesting because this is a obviously this is a group. It's I mean you're the first African American orchestral section, you know that that's playing a basic. Because I would say it's about time, but I it's I don't know. It's I, I guess what's weird on my end is that I, I this is orchestral stuff has not been like the thing I've paid attention to at Pasic, so so it's yeah. almost like the history of it is not is not as caught on me as it, it should be for other people who are as you know, involved. Exactly, ahead. you know. I think that it's again it's an opportunity just to show sort of the breadth of of what we're able to offer. Um, oftentimes with black drummers and percussionists we're seeing you know we, we see solid representation in the drum set realm in in the drum line marching percussion um certainly you know in in, in african drumming and afro-cuban various world drumming aspects and those are all wonderful realms and genres as well but but we we exist and, and we we excel in all yeah. in all um the facets of percussion and so it's it's important and it's it's an honor for us to be able to showcase that uh, with this upcoming performance. 
you're it's like you're underselling you're you're overselling it a bit because the um it's only been very recently that even um hbcu drum lines have been a part of true it. how about it you know you, you're absolutely correct you're absolutely correct you know exactly yeah i i still and so yeah that that part so it's like there's still there's still a lot of work to do um, mm-hmm. there's always mm-hmm. work to do and, and i i do have to commend uh, Josh, you know, Joshua Simons and pacing for, for, you know, making those strides, you know, and, mm. and let's continue to do that. Let's continue yeah, to push it forward. Cause I, again, you know, what we're seeing being done now is great yeah. and it needs to continue to be great. It needs to be continue to happen. And so let's, you know, let's continue to make those push that ball forward. You know, one of the things I think about on, on, on stuff like that is, is when I, I I've talked to Lamont Lawhorn a number mm-hmm. of times, you mm-hmm. probably know, and, and um, you know, one of the things he said when when he brought um AT's line is that they did they played and then they're like, all right, when are we coming back? You know, and it was like that's exactly what you want. <laughs> you <know>? Absolutely. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. It's it's not a it's not a one off. It needs to right. be a continual, continual um, you know, partnership and, and continual uh, showcasing, right? Yeah. Does the orchestra when it's when it's doing its concert season, does it also specifically, you know, tar, you know, go for underrepresented African American composers, or is it is it an orchestra that's that's playing kind of the some of the usual? I put that right, in quotes, right. Lit. Know what you mean? Know yeah, what yeah. You mean. yeah. It, it's 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 a combination of both. I would say that we heavily emphasize black composers. Awesome, but then but then we also perform pieces that are out of the, you know, traditional canon of, of Western European orchestral repertoire. Great. Has it been with that group, has it been hard, easy to find, um, you know, the, the composers that, that are just not, it's harder for them to break in. I mean, one of the things, as you know, about orchestral playing is it's just that it's so it's, it's hard to break out of for orchestras to break out of the kind of the typical stuff, because it's just, it's it's been played forever. Right. Yep. Um, it's harder than it is for many other instrument groups. Like it, actually, percussion is one of the easier groups because all we're, it's all still so new. In a exactly. Very true. So. Very true. I, I think you know that has been a direct part of the direct mission of the organization, Colored Music, from day one. Yeah. And so you know we have had a good amount of success in being able to, to find those composers and, and, and highlight them because again, that's, that's been the mission. Yeah. Um, and, and the composers themselves have flocked to the organization. That's awesome. You know? And so it's certainly been a, a kind of a bi-directional, um, you know, partnership. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, here's a high level group that's going to do a really mm-hmm. good job with our pieces. Why, you know, why not? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. The, the organization that obviously this this makes me think of is, is Sphinx. Mm-hmm. And I know that I believe that there's another orchestra that's like it in, I want to say Houston. I feel like I've been, uh, I've been, I, I don't well, remember. I may be wrong on that. And I think Atlanta has, uh, does, do they also have a similar type so, of? So there's an, organiz- there's an organization. So Sphinx also, you know, highlights uh, black and, and Latin classical musicians. Yeah. Um, there's also an organization called Gateways, the Gateways Festival Gateway. Orchestra, yeah. that has been in partnership with um, Eastman mm. uh, School of School of Music, and actually I'm a part of that orchestra as well. I'm oh, a, a, a sec- section percussionist in that group, and um, we're actually going to perform at 
in Eastman, April 2022, and also we're going to be at Carnegie Hall in New York City that same week. And I believe we'll be the first, you know, uh, black orchestra to be at performing Carnegie Hall in their 130 year history. Yeah. So it's going to be a pretty exciting. It's a you know it's a big it's a big year. Right. <laughs> so awesome. um, lots of exciting opportunities there as well. Now, okay, so thinking specifically of that. So when you know that now, though, like whether you knew that in the past or now that you like, this will be the first time that an all African-American group is playing, uh, orchestra is playing mm-hmm. at Carnegie. Is it mixed? How do you feel, like, how do you feel about that? Again, a lot of the things that we kind of, you know, herald and sort of highlight as being great feats, like mm-hmm. you're saying, there's always sort of mixed feelings embedded because it's like a Again, whenever we kind of highlight these groundbreaking events, there's always sort of these embedded mixed feelings because it shouldn't be that big a deal. It shouldn't be, you know, a momentous occasion that that a, that a black orchestra is playing at Carnegie Hall because there have been immensely talented black classical musicians that have existed for for generations. And so, um, you know, in 2022, 2022 should not be the first year this is happening. Right. Right. Um, but it's the reality and, and yeah. you got to start somewhere. So let's, let's, let's be excited about this. And again, like we're talking about with PASIC, let's use, use this as a launching point yeah. to make this a common, a common occurrence. It's like, needs to be harped on that. It's like, it's not your group's problem that, <laughs> that right. you're the first group. <laughs> right, right, right. A- absolutely. So. Um, awesome. No, that sounds, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I, I think that's going to be, I, I think it's going to be really good. Um, and really the good news, very much. the good news is that you, you play first thing and then it's like, all right, you know, yeah, you get to, there you you go. hang out. It's good. I'm telling you, you know, it's going to be, um, I got a lot of meetings this year. I kind of just realized like, <laughs> you know, so I'm going to be, it's going to be busy, but yeah. you know, but biz, busy in a good way. So, yeah. Um, the death would be time for St. Elmo's and time for uh, time for Shula's. As my, <laughs> wow, as you us, can... look, you know, us, us basic vets, we know exactly what those two two places mean. So you know, it, it'll be it'll be a good time. <laughs> you save up all year so you could afford. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's funny. So I have a quick story. I made the reservation um, almost a month ago for that Friday night. You know, yeah. after the performance, and there were only like. I want to say maybe two or three reservations even left for that Friday night. And I booked it almost two months in advance. Yeah. So you, you know how, how busy St. Elmo's is, is <laughs> how popular it is. Yeah. <laughs> we ended right. with steak. That's awesome. I know. Yes. I know. I know. It's like, if I didn't just come from a friend's house who was having a cookout, I would be hungry, but I'm still very full. So, <laughs> um, awesome. All right, so so Donnie, give me a summation of your percussion activity aside from color of orchestra. But what yeah. what are your percussion activities on a regular basis these days? Oof, man, so I'm a active uh, freelancer and teacher. Um, I play extra as an extra percussionist with the Richmond Symphony. I play on there about once twice a month. Um, I also just freelance all around the greater DC metropolitan area. I teach. Applied percussion lessons at Bowie State University. I teach percussion methods at UMBC, University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Um, I also teach a few private students at an arts magnet high school um, 
in Maryland, right near near where I live. I live in Hyattsville, which is about five minutes north of DC. There's an arts magnet school right down the street, so I teach a couple students there. Um, and I also have an organization I put together uh, called the DMV Music Academy. That is a collection of different events and programs that are gated, uh, catered to students um, in this area don't always have those access to those level levels of experiences. Of those activities, what's the one that kind of got you like started to started in a way to stay in the area and decide this is where my career is going to be? Man, that's a great question. You know, I I am very committed and passionate about kind of everything that I do with the playing and teaching my mm. my business and my academy that I started. I would say now it's really kind of the music academy, the DME Music Academy is probably my primary passion right now. Um, still love to play. Playing is definitely right there. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of a close second. I, I don't, you know, I don't see myself. I'm going to be playing, you know, for the foreseeable future. Not forever, probably, but I, I love to play. And so that certainly keeps me, keeps me in this area as well. So tell me about getting the academy started. What, what was your idea? How has it kind of developed as you've been? Yeah, so it, it, I started back in 2017. And, you know, for me, I've, again, been playing professionally for about, about 17, 18 years now. I've been teaching professionally for about 19 years. And I've taught in a variety of environments, you know, um, inner city schools, you know, rich private schools. I've taught every elementary, middle high college, all different types of environments. And I find oftentimes in percussion, we tend to be in these little kind of silos. In other words, you have your symphonic orchestral percussions over here. You got the drum set students over here, drum line over here, marimba over here, what have you. And I'm someone who I love all styles of percussion, all, all genres, all types. And so I wanted to create an organization that exposed and engaged students and gave them experience with all different types of percussion. And so, you know, I've been very blessed in my career to uh, be connected with, to have a lot of friends who, who are top tier performers and educators in, in, in virtually every single realm of percussion. And so I just kind of hit those folks up and said, hey, I want to start a camp. You know, can you, can you do a marimba clinic? Can you do a Tiffany clinic? Can you do this, that, and the third? And um, it started off as a one-week camp back in 2017. And over the last four years, we've expanded into multiple events throughout the year. Um, we'll do workshops. We'll do clinics. I've started drumline programs in various schools around D.C. We're a 501c3 now, so I've gotten grants and, and, and sponsorships to to get instruments and programs in the schools that don't have the money to do so. Um, I brought in all types of different artists to work with students in person, virtually. Uh, we put together drum lines for events. So we've worked together we're with corporations to put together drum lines for their promotional events or awards or what have you. I've done um, corporate uh, professional development workshops where I've taught team building skills through playing in a drum line. Um, we've done all kinds of different activities where I'm getting more now into the music and wellness space, mm-hmm. kind of seeing how we can serve people in that realm. You know, coming out of this pandemic, mental health is becoming a primary uh, topic of, of concern. Yeah. And also, um, I'll just say quickly here, going into our fifth year in 2022, we um, were awarded a six-day residency um, at the Kennedy Center um, at the oh. end of June, June 27th through July 2nd. So we're really excited about about that event as well. Oh, fantastic. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. 
is there a, a a space that this academy hosts everything? So so currently we work in various spaces around the D.C., Maryland, Virginia. So DMV, for those who may um, not be familiar, it's a uh, kind of regional uh, colloquialism for D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. And so, you know, here in the region, we use that term all the time, but I have to always, you know, kind of explain what that means. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, certainly. certainly I mean, certainly. I'm from the, I'm from New York, but I, okay. I, I was yeah. aware of, I knew what you yeah. meant when, when not when everybody I, knows. But, yeah. yeah. Not everybody knows. So I have, I have to remember to always kind of want sure. to explain that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're super excited about, about where things are growing. Again, I said, we, we have 501c3 status now. And so I've, elect, I've elected a board and they're, they're, hitting the ground running and it's just it's nice to have support now and, and almost feel like you know I, i'm sure you can relate when you when you first start something you're doing it all yourself and it's it's a passion project but it's certainly uh you know lots of labor and so yeah it still is but it's nice to have co-laborers <laughs> let me ask this how many students do you t- are you typically working with on either a you know uh like a daily weekly monthly or just mm-hmm. kind of you have the special pro like these special projects yeah. that are the focus of what you do so so for our our week-long summer workshops we typically have about 35 to 40 percussionists mm-hmm. that that come for the week um you know for our different programs that we started at various schools right now we're at three different schools in dc um and i would say between the three schools we are working with approximately about about 75 80 students um, you know, in those three schools. And then, you know, through our just various events that we do, performances, clinics, workshops throughout the year, we're reaching out to hundreds of students. Awesome. Yeah, pro- probably probably even maybe around a thousand or so. I, I, I need to find out exactly, but definitely on several hundred. Yeah. Uh, do you find that the, the students you work with, do they what are they either surprised about? What are they? Are there things that they find that they really like that they just had they just hadn't been exposed to, and they they had no idea. You know, you're absolutely correct, and that's again part of kind of the primary mission of the organization. It's it's funny, you know, when I work with students, say for example, who maybe come out of a drum set background or come out of a drum line background, they're like a marimba, timpani percussion ensemble and they're just not familiar with it and then after after doing it for a few months they love it and they love it as much as they do you know what they're doing yeah. before and, and vice versa students who come out made more of a symphonic or concert percussion background oh i don't play drum set oh i don't i don't i don't do marching band marching percussion yeah, yeah. and once they start you know making beats and having fun that they're loving that too so it's just you know it's 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 all about bringing together all the styles um, and, and not feeling like there's a hierarchy or there's just like a, a caste system with with the, with the styles of percussion. You know, they all are of equal value, equal merits, and they all can can help to develop you. And they're all fun and engaging, right? Yeah, yeah. I, it's it, it's I, I'm so glad you're saying all this. It's because it, it's one of those things that you know you you don't if you if you're not thinking about it, you don't realize the ways that it's it's that that this this system it's all systematic um you know so it's out it's like they don't you don't always see the controls there but they've been in place for so long that you have to like you have to forcibly break it up to make absolutely and then if you think about kind of the bigger picture you know kind of what we're talking about with with trying to you know kind of reshape aspects of society and social justice and and those sorts of things Mm -hmm. i think percussion in the realm of music, percussion can be a pioneer for that because percussion and drums exist in every single culture on the planet. 
Yeah. And the, and the more that we expose ourselves to all this variety of this variety of cultural expressions, we then can have a, a deeper sense of, of value and appreciation for what different cultures um, bring to the table, which is probably the best way to promote um, equity in the first place is having a true value and appreciation for everyone's contributions. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. Uh, do you work in the academy? Do you work with other, are there other faculty, other people that are, that are kind of teaching on a regular basis? Yes. And so I have um, a few different colleagues that are out in the schools, mm. um, you know, kind of doing the week, week by week work. Um, we've also, and so we started off as the DMV Percussion Academy over the last Two years, we've expanded out into uh, the DMV Brass or Horn Academy. Um, a great friend of mine, uh, Larry Williams, kind of runs that. Uh, in 2022, we're going to launch the DMV Women's Academy and do the same thing with women instruments, but kind of all under the banner of, of the Music Academy. Fantastic. Is that part of where the, the grant, some of like getting this grant funding has allowed you to kind of start to absolutely other things in place? Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that and a, and a board. And I have to say too, these, um, you know, if, if anybody's listening in on ways to, uh, uh, a fun way to fundraise or easy, easy way relatively to fundraise is, um, putting together drum lines for events. You know, I've spent the first couple of years, you know, applying for gosh, so dozens of grants and that's a very tedious process. I mean, yeah. we've won, won a few, but rejected by a lot. Um, and you know, you'll spend months applying for a grant, and get, you know, X amount of dollars, but then a corporation will call you, hey, can you put together a drum line for five minutes and for this this gala gala performance you want to do? Yeah. And the, and they'll pay you the same amount of money you were spending four months on trying to get a grant for. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's that's free game for whoever wants it. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. Oh, it's so, so true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean it's facts. I'm telling you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. Um so the other, um, like the, the teaching at the colleges, um, mm -hmm. how, when, when and how were you getting connected to those uh, specific schools? Yeah, so um, I've done a lot of high school teaching um, over the years. And so at the Arts Magnet School, it's called Northwestern High School in Hyattsville, uh, Maryland, they have extra money from the county school system to hire adjuncts for every instrument so they have mm. a, you know a flute teacher clarinet etc i do percussion um and so the trombone the low brass adjunct a uh, former low brass adjunct is the band director at, at Bowie state university and so he brought me on to to teach applied percussion at Bowie state and then from there that kind of led to the umbc percussion methods position as well that's just for this fall semester but um that's that's been i've had a great time doing that as well so you know one thing leads to another you know the the connections and stuff and so and so yeah it's um this this area this greater dc area is loaded with musicians um and i know i'm sure you know from in new york it's similar but there are so many opportunities for playing for teaching not only in in the city but around the surrounding suburban areas as well there's a lot of opportunities yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and is is Bowie State, is that an HBCU? Yes, it is an HBCU. It's HBCU um, in Prince George's County, Maryland. Uh, it's a very, very large county in Maryland. Um, 
It is one of the largest counties in the um, in the country, mm. and both Northwestern High School and Bowie State are both in Prince George's County. It's about um, it surrounds DC. Bowie is about say about 15, 20 minutes west of Annapolis, the capital of Maryland. What are you teaching at at Bowie State? So, so at Bowie, I'm I'm doing applied, I'm doing percussion lessons, okay. lessons there, and I kind of I started that. I've been there for about two and a half years now. Started that. Um, Kind of from, from the ground as far as the percussion lessons, mm-hmm. and um, we have we have uh, six students now. We we just started a percussion ensemble this semester. We're doing the first percussion ensemble, I believe, in that the schools had. Yeah, and so um, it's cool. You know, the students recruiting is always kind of an ongoing challenge, and so sure. you know we are now we're getting students who have interest, which is great. Um, you know, we're still kind of continuing to grow the program, and so you know the students I have now. They have wonderful attitudes. They they are super excited about learning. Um, you know, very very, very green, which is great. You know, but yeah, yeah. kind of so you, you know you're starting from 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 square one. But they have the right attitudes, and so we're going to build, and it's going to be great. I've got like I said, six students. It's uh, five freshmen and one junior. So mm-hmm. it's going to be time to really, really, really grow the program. So I'm excited about developing them. Does Bowie have a a marching band? They do. Yes, they do. Uh-huh. They do have a marching band, and so a few of the students um, play in the drum line as well. Um, they have they have an instructor who does does that. Um, she has uh, she has a great job with that. Um, but that yeah, I do the uh, the concert percussion um, percussion lessons. Amidst all this teaching and the various schools and all that stuff, when do you actually get to play? You know, um, <laughs> probably less less often than you might want. You know, you know, it's welcome. You know, my life is is quite the uh, the enigma, man. It's crazy. So I, you know, it's. Most of the teaching, believe it or not, is actually on on Mondays. A lot of it is. Mm. So, so I teach all my private students um, on Monday during the day at Bowie State, and then I do the percussion methods class on Monday evenings. So, so both of those are knocked out on Monday. So it's a long long day, but that's all kind of done on Monday. Yeah. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, my um, Northwestern students, I just have three. And they're high school. They get half an hour lessons, and I can pretty much with this. I can pretty much get in there sort of when I can to give them those lessons. And so that's just ninety minutes a week, yeah. you know. Um, and then so outside of that, I'm I'm free more or less to uh, to play and, and and run the business. So so it's where, it's a crazy schedule. It's crazy, but it's, yeah. it's somehow somehow it's it's working out more or less. <laughs> so so how much do you drive on Monday? Well, so so you know, it's it's not crazy. It, it is some driving. Bowie's about a half an hour from from where I live in Hyattsville, and then and then going to um, UMBC is about another thirty five minutes or so. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a little bit of drive, about a half an hour to get to Bowie, then thirty five minutes to get to UMBC, and then about an hour come back home. So yeah, it is a fair amount of driving. That's but it, it's it's doable. It's, it's not crazy. It's doable. <laughs> it's doable. And and kind of for me, it's sort of the way I'm wired. Yeah, I actually prefer it that way. Just kind of have one crazy day at the beginning of the week, yeah. and the rest of my week is is flexible. You know, yeah. When it was the time when I when I had like the Monday was ridiculously busy, and then Tuesday was pretty full. Wednesday was was full but not bad, and then like Thursday and Friday were kind of like you know, yep, flexible. I like yeah. the word flexible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but they but they but they still get busy. They still oh, get yeah. busy. You know, but it but it's like it's yeah. It's just it's just more flexible. Yeah. It, it it yeah it's the it's when you're it's like am I free it's like yes I'm free on Thursday can I possibly fit this in Tuesday though <laughs> right <laughs> exactly exactly.
Donnie, let's back up. Where did you grow up? So I grew up um, a town called Elkridge, a small town in Maryland. It's about 20 minutes south of Baltimore. Um, all my family pretty much is, is in, in Maryland. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, you know, Mar- Maryland born and bred. Um, with the University of Maryland, so I'm, I'm very much I'm, I'm a Marylander through and through. Started playing percussion. Actually, I was in second grade. I took uh, snare drum lessons, percussion lessons in second and third grade. And then I stopped after third grade. Um, my parents couldn't, couldn't afford it anymore. But at that time, by the time I got in the fourth grade, um, you know, school band had started. And so I was able to continue my experiences there. And, um, you know, through middle school, high school, I would say high school is when I really kind of caught the bug. You know, I really got in the drum line and we did percussion ensemble. I had a very, very strong um, program in high school, great director and everything. Um, great directors my whole my whole career. I've been blessed in that way. Um, but high school is where I kind of caught the bug. Um, and then went on to Maryland, mm-hmm. mu- music education major. Um, but I was just as into the performing as I was the teaching. I have always been passionate about both of those really equally. I, I love doing both. And so, um, you know, I pushed myself in, in those realms and I taught full-time band and orchestra um, in, in Prince George's County and DC for about 10 years mm-hmm. while I was still uh, developing my freelance career. So I kind of ran those concurrently. And then after 10 years, uh, for the last six, seven years now, I've just been freelancing and kind of teaching privately on all my own. Do you have any family members who are in the arts? Good question. Not professionally. I mean, I've, I've got some family members that are, you know, are hobbyists. I've got a few mm-hmm. that, that are good singers in my family, yeah. a few that a few that play piano sort of as a hobby. Yeah. But, but no, no one like a serious or you know professional career level. Got it. So when you were taking these lessons in, you said second grade you started? Yes. Yeah. Second and third grade. Yeah. It's like seven, eight years old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's pretty young. Uh, I really yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. It, you know, how did but, you, I mean, how did you even, how was it even brought to your attention? You're like, Hey, you should really. Well, it's, like, it's, fun, it's funny. You know, I, I wanted to play trumpet when I was, when I was that age, I was fascinated by the trumpet. Mm-hmm. want to play trumpet. And, and and my dad was just you know basically like hey I I can't afford a trumpet you know but but I can afford some drumsticks you know so sure. I got I got some sticks and a pad and and um you know I think we got some sort of deal with lessons back there something like that I don't remember the details but mm-hmm. um yeah that's honestly how I got into it like I I wanted to play trumpet but the drumsticks are drumsticks are more affordable so yeah. <laughs> and but once I started playing I, I loved it I've always loved it so yeah. What kind of stuff were you um, interested in at that age that, I mean, that you were even maybe if you were interested in trumpet or the the stuff that you were really into in percussion wise? So I was big into just, I love, I love the snare drum. I've always, mm-hmm. I love the snare drum when I was in elementary school. Um, I had done a little bit of drum set, but I really just loved just playing snare drum. Mm-hmm. I played baseball growing up too. And so oh, okay. percussion and baseball were just kind of my big my big hobbies growing up. Uh, when I got in the middle school, actually, is when I really got into playing timpani. Like mm. timpani was kind of, you know, most times that's when you start playing timpani, you know, in middle school usually. So I really got into playing timpani and, and even that's kind of my main, my main thing now. I play a lot of timpani and I play a lot of like extra kind of section percussion, but mm-hmm. timpani is kind of my, my, my main bag even now. So um, yeah, and I, I love all styles of percussion. Mm-hmm. Um, I got, you know, of course, in the mouths and drum set and those things in high school, drum line, et cetera. But, um, yeah, timpani, 
I, I love playing. My favorite thing to play is probably timpani in orchestra. I mm. love doing that. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's pretty great. Yeah. Um, I mean, you've obviously you're an incredible teacher and, and, uh, and mentor yeah. in Javon. So yeah, certainly, certainly. Absolutely. And I, and I, I took, I studied with, with John Tafoya when I was an undergrad as well. And so nice. I know he's, he's great. And, and, and Tony Ames is former yeah. uh, principal percussion with the NSO. And so, yeah, I've been blessed to have, like I said, just a lot of great teachers from uh, my young ages all the way up through, through adulthood. Because you said you, you got kind of got into Tiffany when you did, were you, um, were you playing piano? Like, how were you, um, you know, good with pitches at that point? You know, it's interesting. I, it's funny. I've, I've always had a, a good ear and I, mm. I never, I never really thought about it much, but it's funny. I, um, I sang in my church choir when mm-hmm. I was, uh, like middle school in the high school a little bit. Yeah. Um, my, my mom is, 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 is a good singer. She sings, she sings in the church choir for years and has sung solos and her mom, my grandmother sang as well. And so, um, you know, I've always, I, you know, I enjoyed singing the church choir. And I think, I think that's actually probably what gave me my ear. I've always just, I've always had a good ear. Yeah. Um, and so that's always been kind of one of my, one of my strong suits. You know, when I was younger, interestingly enough, I had to really, work on certain levels of coordination. I, I always had good hand-eye coordination, maybe just mm-hmm. baseball. The baseball thing, obviously. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I had a good hand. I was a good hand-eye coordination. Um, I haven't always been very coordinated, like with, with my, my feet, like drum set. It yeah. has taken me, it took me a while over my teenage years. I'm still working on it. Just so you I, know. I, I look, look, you know, Yes, one hundred percent. Like it's taking me, it's taking me to the age of thirty seven to to be to to not suck. <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm not, not having useless left foot. <laughs> thank you. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not good. But I don't. I don't suck. Yes, thank. Yes, that's. <laughs> I, I. I feel. Yeah, and, and, and that's taking thirty seven years. So yes, you know, um, take that with you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So oh, it's funny that there, because somebody asked me a similar question recently, and I was like, you know, there are certain, I think, certain natural giftings, talents that I've had that's helped me with percussion, and then other aspects I've really, really, really had to work through. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, having an ear, mm-hmm. um, hand-eye coordination, and have, and I've always had a good time. I think mm-hmm. growing up in the church, you know, I've always had a good sense of just time. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, I don't really struggle with that. Mm-hmm. But um, but other aspects I've had to really work through. So tell me a little bit about the the kind of the schools that you were in at this point. If you're you know because you're getting it sounds like early on and particularly when you're in high school, you, there's a lot of really great opportunities and mm-hmm. and ways for you to grow at a young age. Absolutely. So I again, the town I grew up in it's called Elkridge. It's in a, a county of Howard County. And Howard County is known nationally as just being a county that has just really strong school systems in general and, and music in particular, you know, just for, for gener- uh, I'd say for decades, mm-hmm. um, probably a few generations. It's just had a very, very strong, nationally renowned, um, like I said, school programs in general and certainly music in particular. And so just being a in the Howard County public school system, and just being in great music programs, elementary, middle, and certainly high school. You know, I had a, I had a very um, driven, very committed high school band director. Um, we had, 
you know, a, a big high school music program. We we did competitive marching band. We did indoor drum line. We did we did percussion ensemble. You know, I played in the musical theater. Played drum set there. Did you know the trips? You know, just band band all day. And so, um, just having that sort of environment. You know, I remember by the time I became a senior, like uh, the band director, uh, his name was Matt Matt Dub, was my high school band director. He would sometimes just leave, like just lock me in the room, just leave and let me just stay in there and practice. You know, I could just kind of, you know, was trusted to, I don't know if it was legal or not, but he let me stay in there and just practice. He trusted yeah, me yeah. to stay in, stay in the band room and then have to, you know, all right, man, just, just you know, shut the door when you're done, turn the lights out. Kind right. of thing, you know, so, yeah, you know. I mean, you know, that's, it's the kind of thing that takes, it's like, it, you know, the teacher at that point is like, listen, I, like you can keep playing. I have to go. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You yeah, don't have absolutely. to go, but I got to go. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Seriously. When you were marching in, in high school, what what kind of um, like you, were you staying on snare the whole time or were you moving around? So, you know, it's funny. I've actually never played officially at a snare line. So oh. my, my freshman year, I marched cymbals, freshman. Mm-hmm. Right. And cymbals are awesome. My, my, my sophomore year, I was in the baseline. Mm-hmm. And then my junior and senior years, I played I played tenors. Right. Nice. And so and then I also I played in the marching band in Maryland my freshman year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I played tenors there as well. Um, and so and so actually technically I've never actually played officially in a snare line. Well, Even though you yeah. love snare drum, you said I know, I know. It's crazy. <laughs> well, you know, so here, here's what's funny. I think you know, I didn't I always played matched, right? And so like I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't play I didn't actually learn traditional grip until like college. Yeah. So I, I think that was that was part of it, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's why you stay on tenors. That's exactly right, the reason. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, and it's funny now I actually play a decent amount of traditional grip now because a lot of my students play that way. And so I mm-hmm. want to be able to have. Yeah. Um, and so now I actually, I, my traditional is, is almost on par with my, similar to my match in terms of ability levels, you know, but I've worked on it a lot, but I, I didn't have it in high school. I just didn't do it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Do you, do you, when you do play drum set, do you play traditional? I go back and forth when I'm doing like jazz, I do a lot traditional. Yeah. Yeah. When, when, I, need to have, when I need to have a heavy backbeat, I go back to matched. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. I, it took a while for me. It's it's a similar thing where when I, the time when I learned traditional was, was for a teaching situation, not a performing. It was Mm -hmm. like, I have, now I have to figure out how to, how to learn. I never, cause same thing. Like I played tenors and I played bass drum. So it was like, I just never had the need to. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And and so I actually, I love playing swing traditional Mm -hmm. and kind of those ghost notes. It's just just very, very comfortable. And I I probably, when I think about it, I probably play traditional more than I do matched on drum set now. But again, when I want that kind of heavy backbeat, I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll go to matched. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you get, you get, you can start of, you figure out all the different angles, you know, mm-hmm. so you can play mm-hmm. the tip, like a lot of the tip playing and, and that mm-hmm. stuff is, gets more interesting because you, exactly. you find different sounds. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The, the fillings st- I think is still, still can be awkward at times. I, I don't yeah. Know. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> no, uh, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, that's why when you're doing a lot of filling, you're like, you know what? I'll just flip it and, you know, and just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. If you played baseball, what was your position? Third base. Third okay. base. Yeah. I, I was, I, yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> it. I, I've always was pretty quick, you know, with uh, reacting. Mm-hmm. I was, always had a strong arm, strong, pretty accurate arm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So third base was my, 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 uh, my spot most of the time. Gotcha. Who was uh, who? Who were your favorite third baseman? 
Oh, well, so, well, look, so, you know, my favorite baseball player of all time, Cal Ripken, you know, just oh, hands down. Oh, yeah, that makes and, sense. you know, he started yeah. off, of course, a shortstop, third baseman his last five or six years in the, in the league. Yeah. But, um, yeah, huge, huge Cal Ripken fan. Um, hands down, my favorite favorite baseball player. One of my yeah. favorite athlete as a kid, you know, him. It was so it was funny. I, I him, him, Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. and, and Brett Favre were my three favorite athletes um as a kid yeah and brad Favre still played even well into my adulthood so right, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. but uh those are my three favorite athletes um yeah uh, as a kid yeah yeah it's is it weird uh I, i'm i'm gonna guess that you're still a, a, an orioles fan i am i am i sadly enough i am i am i you know, it's funny. So football, I'm actually I'm a big Steelers fan. It's kind of long. But really? Yeah, I know it's crazy. I know it's crazy. I know it's it's crazy. People are gonna hear this. Don't tell people this. I, I know. I know. <laughs> so the thing is, my dad, and I still didn't really never know, but for, for whatever reason, he was never a, a big Redskins fan. Sure. So I didn't grow up liking the Redskins. Yeah. He was an, he was an old school Baltimore Colts fan. I, I oh sure, yeah. Him. So he kind of he kind of followed the Colts when they went to Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. And then when, then when the Ravens came, he, he you know it's a Ravens fan. But yeah. but so for me, he was never a Redskins fan. So I wasn't a Redskins fan. And I started following the Steelers before Baltimore got the Ravens. You know, okay, I came. Sure. My, my childhood was in that that era where you know Colts had left, yeah, Ravens yeah. hadn't hadn't come yet. So there were there was no Baltimore football team, right? Mm-hmm. And so I just started following the Steelers. And then when the Ravens came, I was already a Steelers fan. So, yeah. And they're like, do we do we ever play this team? Oh, twice a year. Okay. I know, I know, I know. It's crazy, <laughs> but but I'm I'm home team with everything else. A big time Orioles fan, big yeah, Terps yeah. fan, mm-hmm. of course, and um, you know, uh, you know, Wizards and Capitals. Yeah. You know, lesser extent, but I still follow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you've had at least with uh, well, and you've got like the oh, it's okay. So you're an Orioles fan. It's like the Nationals won the title. Mm-hmm, the Capitals mm-hmm. won the title. I know. Um, I know. The Wizards still play basketball, as far as I yeah, know. I sort of, sort of, yeah. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah. And, and 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 I live closer to DC than I do Baltimore. Like so huh. I grew up closer to Baltimore, so yeah. You know, I kind I kind of claim both cities, but sure. you know, Baltimore, Baltimore will always, will always be special. Yeah, yeah. So. And don't take this the wrong way. I'm a Yankees fan, so uh, hey, no, hey, man, I get you from New York. You should, you should be. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Still bitter about Jeffrey Mayer from you know, I'm sure, yeah, 20, no. from, from, from 25, 20, 25 years ago. Still bitter, but you know, it is what it is. It's. I mean, you know, <laughs> here's the thing. It's such a. It's one of those things. Like obviously, if there was replay, like that's not. It's not even a story. You know, it's just like oh, it's a home. It's a home run. That would get canceled, or you know, yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. But back then, it was like it was. It ended up turning that whole that whole game for one, and then maybe the series. Yeah, I, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I, You're I like, remember. you don't have to tell me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, but you guys, your that team was that '90s Orioles team was quite good. Um, and the next year, '97, we went wire to wire and won the division, first place the whole year. In the yeah. playoffs, we just kind of stunk it up, but yeah. Yeah. yeah anyway, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll get going that direction. It'd be you know, <laughs> yeah. How good of a hitter were you? Oh, I was a good hitter. Yeah, I was yeah. a good hitter. My dad's like when I was a kid, my, my dad and I would go to the batting cages all the time. Mm. You know, yeah. And um, it's funny he would like you know I have to. 
you know, it's old school, different different era back then. But he he would like at times like have me like stand in front, like the bad guy stand in front of you know the uh, the machine like let the balls like actually hit me. Right? Oh so, so, so just like you know, hey, you get used to it. So we in the game, you're not like phased by it. You know, you like right. get in there and like make me like stand there yeah. and like, yeah, yeah. like get and get hit by the baseballs. Yeah, not yeah. advocating that, you know, but, 20 no, no. Years old, but this is a different different era. Different yeah, yeah. Era. That's it's funny. That's not where I thought you were going. I thought you were going to put you in. I don't know if it was the right cage or the left cage. Whatever's the end cage where it was the fastest. Oh, uh, yeah. Just yeah, throw you yeah. in that one. Just be like, yeah, I'd hit it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and I should say it wasn't like like the 80 mile an hour. It was like like the 40, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the, the bruises weren't that 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 big. <laughs> 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 well, yeah, I, I I always think of um, you know, the one good thing with batting cages is that you you actually weren't worried about getting beaned. You know? Yeah, right, <laughs> right, right. You, know? you always think of the um, I, I play baseball as well, but I always nice. think of, of the games when you were when it was freezing out and you're sitting there like you can't even grip. Mm-hmm. The, the, mm-hmm. the aluminum bat like you can't even yeah. hold it hard enough so that if you made any contact your hands yep. would just like shatter yep <laughs> yep so and that part always, i don't miss I just, we always started like kind of like in, in like march yeah and yeah. so like in some sometime they you up in i'm sure up in new york too yeah. sometimes in march it's still cold like there's still so snow like, on the ground yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's, it's like legit it's, it's, it's like legit cold yeah yeah I remember one year we started like the last week of February. I was like, hey, it's, it's 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 winter, right? <laughs> and we outside like it's still winter. You know what I mean? But yeah. yeah, yeah, we do not live in Florida. Why are we doing right. this? Seriously, seriously. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. So, um, going to Maryland, what was there? You know, is there a specific reason that you that that was the place you wanted to go? Had you looked, and also had you looked elsewhere? for undergrad programs you know honestly not really um okay. i just like i said i'm kind of mailing through and through I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a you know my family's all here both sides of my family my mom's family is all kind of baltimore area yeah. dad's family is all eastern shore mm-hmm. um and i grew up i was a little kid big time terps fan mm-hmm. you know so i just always kind of loved maryland even before i was went to school there so yeah i kind of always saw myself going there and they you know um even before I decided what my major was going to be. And then when I decided I want to major in music, I discovered that they have a good music program. So it was like, all right, yeah. seal the deal, you know? So you said John Tafoya was, was that when you were studying with him? Yeah. And, I, and also I should say, um, so uh, uh, Ron Barnett uh, passed away a few months ago. Um, rest mm-hmm. in peace. He, he was at Maryland for 40 years and his, his last year in Maryland, my freshman year. Mm-hmm. So I, I stayed with him for a year or two. And so I kind of ran the full gamut of teachers there. Um, so it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, um, so you're you're relatively local to mm-hmm. where you're going to school, but what was was there anything that was kind of like surprising about being at the college, even though it's in relatively in town uh, from where you were growing up? Yeah, I mean, I think you know it's really Maryland is is a huge school. It's about forty thousand people. It's one of the largest schools in around, and so it, it's really kind of a world unto itself. You know, I lived on campus my first three years. Mm-hmm. Senior year, I lived at home. I was student teaching, and but my first three years, I was on campus. And so, you know, I'm I'm a half an hour away from where I grew up, but I'm literally like in my own world. You sure. know, um, it's 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 its own city, and so it's kind of that was a, a unique 
experienced, you know, honestly, you felt like you were, I tell people it's almost like you had kind of the, the best of both worlds because Maryland is so vast, the university, you feel like you're, you feel like you're, you know, 10 hours away. Yeah. Right. But you're really only, you know, I could still go home if I wanted, you know, to do my laundry or, or you know, see family and friends or whatever. Mm-hmm. But when I was on campus, it was its own, its own world. Tell me a little bit about the structure of the program. What did the the faculty that you worked with, what did they expect out of you? What was the, the plan in terms of what they taught? Yeah. So I told my teachers from the beginning, because, you know, there's, as with many schools, sometimes when you're music ed, you don't get the same level of rigor as the performance majors do. Um, and so I made it a point to tell my teachers, listen, treat me the same way you treat um, the performance majors gave me the same level of rigor, gave me the same, you know, I want to kind of really almost kind of do both tracks. Yep. And, and the way it's set up in Maryland, for a music ed degree, you pretty much do everything, everything the performance majors do. You just have ed on top of that. Right. And, you know, I mean, and so it, it pretty much was already set up that way. And so, you know, we had our weekly lessons. I played in the in the wind ensemble, played in the orchestra my, my junior and senior years and the percussion ensemble pretty much every semester. And then, of course, being music ed, you know, I learned all the instruments and piano and all those courses on top of that. And so, you know, and that I did the drum line my freshman year. I loved playing the drum line. It was so much fun. A lot of great experiences. Um, but I only did it for a year because they practiced six days a week. Yeah. So doing that plus everything else, I I just couldn't, you know, um, yeah, it was just it was just crazy. Yeah. Like I, remember, I remember my freshman year, like having to practice, you know, the drumline music and then your classical percussion stuff and then your ensemble music and then like piano and clarinet, you know, so I'm practicing <laughs> yeah. literally all day and I still have, you know, English class or psychology right. class or a science mm-hmm. lab or whatever. So yeah. I'm just like, it was just, I'm glad I got through it for a year for that experience, but I couldn't do more than that. I said, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. It's, it's just such a time crunch. Mm-hmm. How are you, I'm always amazed at the ones who who continue to do stick with the marching band and do the music ed. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think a lot of them are, are, you know, wanting to be in the, the band directing world. Exactly. Or the music world. So I, I get it from that perspective, but just yeah. the time is just yeah rough. And then with percussion, especially, you know, what you're doing in the marching percussion world is so different from what you're doing in the classical orchestral percussion realm. Yeah. So it's not like, like if you're playing, you know, I mean, obviously the music's different, but if you're playing clarinet, you're mm-hmm. playing clarinet, whether you're playing it, you know, in March. I mean, not that you're playing it the same way because you're not, but I'm saying it's still the same instrument, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're playing, you know, um, tenors, tenors are not, are not the same as xylophone, right? So right. it's just like, you know. Or timpani. <laughs> or timpani or, or any of the tambourine or anything yeah. else, right? So, you know, it's just, it's it's a whole different set of uh, of challenges. Plus, you probably like didn't mind not having back pain all the time, you know. And all yeah, that. you know that too. It's funny. So you know, I literally, so I was in the drum line at Maryland in two thousand and one, mm-hmm. and like, so we were still like carrying them all the time. Like stands were not like, maybe a couple school, but stands weren't really a thing. I mean, we were carrying yeah. these drums, you know, twenty four seven in in the stands at game. Yeah. We're we're carrying these drums, and I, I think literally maybe a year or two after I stopped. When they start getting stands, you know, right? So, I mean, so I mean, we're I mean, we're carrying these tenors like literally, yeah. you know, nonstop. <laughs> yep. So <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> you know, it's funny. What I don't know if you you've had the experience of of finding old sets 
like even before your t- like before when you were playing mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you know that's from like the 70s and 80s mm-hmm. that were like a tri-tom set that weighed like i don't know I want to say like a hundred pounds. I mean, it was so heavy. <laughs> like I've had to move it to get to the yeah. that I needed, and I was like almost killed myself. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like you know, I don't know what those guys were thinking about. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, granted, they weren't marching the kind of drill that folks are doing now, but even right. but even still, so, just 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 carrying them. Yeah, I mean, it's just 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 doing a parade is is ridiculous. <sighs> so yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, so if you were there, two thousand one, is that you were there when they won the national championship basketball, right? Oh yeah, that was my freshman year. Absolutely, <sighs> that was my freshman year. That was I'm telling you, I I've been a Maryland basketball fan since I was like you know eight nine years old. My mm-hmm. you know, so that, that was a huge huge uh, you know memory for me. Yeah, the football team was good that year too. We won we won the um, won the division. We went down to Miami for the Orange Bowl. We got we got blown out by Florida, but but we had a good regular season. Yeah, when I was in the marching band. I got to go down to Florida. Hey, I got to spend, I got to spend New Year's Eve on South down in South Beach in oh, Miami. Yeah, so you know it, it wasn't too bad. And you know you, you get your little per diem. So I got I got paid to hang out <laughs> on the beach in Miami. You know, for New Year's Eve, not not too bad a life. Not, not too, bad, too bad. You know, <laughs> <laughs> the very the gosh, the per diems. I mean, those yeah. are it's so hilarious. Yeah. Like there's and. It, I mean, the amount that the students get now when I'm, I'm the assistant, one of the assistant directors for Marching Mizzou and the oh, amount cool. that, that, that we, the amount that we get is like, is like a fortune compared to how much we were getting when we were there. Oh, I believe just it. Like, I mean, I was like, I feel like I was like, I think I had five bucks for lunch. Like, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. You know, I, I, I can't, I can't remember, but yeah, but I, but I feel like, you know, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure it's crazy. I'm sure they're getting yeah. an insane amount now. Yeah. But, but you're just mm-hmm. like. You're like okay, I can I can afford three three menu three items off the dollar menu at McDonald's. That's, that's it. That's how much I got. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like what a what a high to come in. Oh to yeah, your undergrad, and then like everything just kind of slowly <laughs> to, to to where we are now. Yeah, I'm telling you, you know, and I'm just like yeah. You, as you said, it you come in on that high, and then you know you expect things to continue, and yeah, you know I'm still a. a Diehard Maryland fan, but a lot of a lot of disappointments, you know. Yeah, yeah. But you, well, you got you got to watch Juan Dixon in. in oh the yeah, Bronx, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, one hundred percent. I got got to meet him a few times. Him and Steve nice. Blake, and you know, I mean, we're not we're not homeboys, but I've sure, met yeah. them, I've met them both a few times, and so it's been cool. And of course, Coach Gary and yeah, and everything. And so yeah, it's been great. You you said that you had multiple teachers. In, you know the time period you happened to be there was like one program that was be that had been led by one by a, right. someone for so long. Mm-hmm. I, I would assume I'm going to assume started the program right if he was there that long. Yeah, probably so. Uh, Ron Barnett was there from 1962 to 2002, so probably yeah. <laughs> more right. than likely. So, I mean, what was it like to? And I don't know. I mean, you were an undergrad, so it's like I don't know yeah. how, how much you were aware of this. But like, what was it like for that program to kind of turn over while you were there? You know, it it was a real um, significant change because sure. you know, it's like so I had Ron Barnett for a year, and and he was he was great. You know, so many great um, fundamentals, and just a very um, just a very jovial person, like 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 a grandfather sort of figure. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, he was in his 40th year, you know, definitely, you know, looking forward to retirement and golf and that sort of thing. And so and so lessons 
lessons were 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 informative, mm-hmm. but but kind of more on, on the laid back side. Sure. Um, and and then when uh, you know when, when Jobs of Foyer came in, things changed. <laughs> <laughs> things things changed, and and it was good. I mean, like that's what I needed. That's what we needed. Sure. You know, like look, basically, like hey, if you want to do this as a career, this is the standard. Yeah. And so, you know, if you don't want to rise to this standard, there's no reason for you to be here. Like, and so it's like he was just very like he, he was he's not a he's not a yeller, he's not anything yeah. like that, but, but he's very matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Like this this is it. This is yeah. the standard. Yeah. Either you're gonna rise to it or you're not gonna be here. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like it was like, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, right. it's it a wake up call, you know, and, and, and when, you know, a bunch of nineteen year olds we, we needed that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's he's like I'm not coming down. No, no, no. You're you're meeting this. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. Yeah. So and and and, and mo- most of us, most of us did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. the ones that didn't, you know, um, you know, sought other other career paths. And yes. So, you know, and that that's that's part of it too. So. Right. <laughs> so, um, did did Tafoya kind of want everyone to be? Um, you know, like really well rounded. Was that kind of the the focus? Yeah, I, I think Maryland has always been that type of um, university, mm-hmm. which I think which is awesome because the area that we're in, DC, you know, there are so many opportunities for professional for percussionists if you are in fact well rounded. I mean, there's yeah. so many different orchestras around here, so many churches mm-hmm. for drum set and timpani. Yeah, um, so many opportunities to teach marching band to teach you know percussion ensembles to play i mean you know, there's so many just so many different ways to so much happening in musical theater yeah you know so so the more well-rounded you are the more you're going to work and, and and have a career and i will say all the all the people that i went to school i'm just saying right most of the people that i went to school with almost all of them really are now all have um respectable careers as percussionists performers educators some combination mm-hmm. of the two yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of it's really good, I guess, f- to realize that that you, the area that you're in has these opportunities. Like, it seems mm-hmm. like it, it, you don't have to be convinced to say you need to be well-rounded. You were like, I can just go to any place, literally. And I see that this is what is required of people here. 100 percent, 100 percent, especially at the undergraduate level. You know, once you get yeah. graduate, if you want, OK, I want to take auditions for orchestras. I want to, you know try to be a soul marimbus or I want to, you know, get more into, you know, teaching at the collegiate level and percussion ensemble stuff, you know, you can, you can then kind of branch out, but undergrad, you're going to be solid at everything. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. What's some of the, um, and you said that there was ensemble, uh, uh, with part of your undergrad percussion ensemble. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I did percussion ensemble almost every semester. Um, and and that, that was rigorous in its own right because, You know, we had, of course, what we were doing for our lessons um, and then being I was in wind ensemble and orchestra, you know, different parts of the year. We played a lot of, you know, a lot of a lot of Slanka and Messian and stuff that was its own percussion ensemble in its own right. right. <laughs> and then you got percussion ensemble. So, you know, it's just like you're doing you're you're just constantly shedding rep. Yeah. And at times, I mean, it was a lot. But I look at, at it now like I can handle, you know, doing a bunch of gigs okay i'm playing you know here in a couple of days i gotta learn this book for next week or whatever right you just you learn how to just eat rep how to just digest it and just yeah. you know and just, and just and just go through it you know because you have to you know yeah. but 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 it's like we did that in college 
So when I got out here into the professional world, I I could handle it, you know, and and not everybody has those experiences. What was some of the, um, the lit you were playing both solo and ensemble percussion ensemble, uh, in your, in undergrad? Oh man. Um, we did a lot of, um, so we did, we did see the whole toy, whole toy laid down. We did, mm-hmm. um, we did a lot of, uh, David Gillian. We did stained glass. We mm-hmm. did, um, I'm trying to think some of the other pieces that, you know, certainly cage, third construction. Um, you know, of course, uh, you know, everybody's got to do their ionization. You gotta, you gotta go through that rite of passage. And, um, like I said, with, with wind ensemble, we did a lot of, uh, David Maslanka and, um, Samessian and, 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 um, uh, I'm trying to think of other composers as well, but a lot of contemporary composers that, um, oh, Schwantner, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of stuff where, you know, you are learning how to play percussion at a high level, yeah. both again, in, in, in the wind ensemble orchestra, as well as the, um, percussion ensemble. And then of course, in your lessons doing excerpts and George Hamilton, green rags and Delco solos and all that good stuff as well, you know? Yeah. What, what about some of the four mallet rep? Taking me back about 20 years. I, I did <laughs> rhythm song. Mm-hmm. I did, I did a lot of Bach. I, I love, I love Bach. Remember? So yeah. I did a yeah, lot yeah. of the violin sonatas and partitas, uh, some of the, some of the cello suites. Yeah. Um, uh, I did a piece from Marimba and tape called, um, Hangar 84. It's kind of cool by Paul Bissell. Mm-hmm. Um, I did um, a piece by uh, Dave Samuels and Dave Friedman, uh, uh, Sunset Glows, and Rimba Vibraphone Duet. Mm-hmm. Um, other things I'm sure I'm missing too. You know, the, the Rosario Prelude, Rosario mm-hmm. Prelude. Yeah. Um, it's a rhythm song. Yeah, yeah. And then um, Masters. I uh, did a piece. I did chain. Um, uh, 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 gosh, Miyaki, I think. Miyaki, thank you. Yeah, thank you, yeah. thank you. Yes, Miyaki, Miyaki's chain. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a lot of timpani mm-hmm. um, um, in the master, so that was a lot of just you know rep excerpts, audition prep. I did do the I did the first movement of the Oliverio, James Oliverio timpani concerto, um, mm-hmm. my master's recital. That was for eight eight timpani, tons of pedaling. It was very very fun. Um, Olympic feet, you can say. Yeah. Um, where, where, where do you get a timpani? That, that's the first question. <laughs> right. So, well, you know, Maryland, we have, well, they have like six sets now. When oh, I was wow. there, I think, we had, I think we had four sets. So, yeah. I, you know, I could I could put together, put together a timpani. Uh-huh. But, um, you know, we've had a lot of, you know, it's, it's, it's a big timpani. It's been a big timpani school for a while. So, we've sure, got, yeah. a lot of, got, got a lot of, got a lot of drums there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, what were, I mean, okay, let me, different question. What room were you, were you having to practice? In? Yeah. So it was, it was a lot of late nights of being either in the band room or the orchestra room. Gotcha. <laughs> you know, you know, like I said, with having, you know, I think the way we did it, I always had to move one set. Like there'd yeah. be one set, you know, in the band or orchestra room mm-hmm. and I had, to, I had to move one set out of storage or percussion yeah. practice room or whatever. So I always had to move one set at symphony at least, you know, to, to make it work. But and then unfortunately you had to move it back. And then, of course, yep, one hundred percent. You know, right after you're done practicing, and you're like, I just yep. want to go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's always late at night because you know, where else you, know, you don't have the space to practice on eight ten in the middle of the day. Right. So it, it's always it's always always late at night. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Did you go straight to the masters, or did you teach and then come back? 
I taught and then came back. So I got my undergrad in 05 mm-hmm. um, and then I taught and then I came back in 09 and did my, did my master's 09 to 2011 while I was still teaching full time as well. I gotcha. Okay. Um, and actually, I should say I'm, I'm doing I'm, I'm finishing up um, a DMA. Um, oh, awesome. Right. Right now as well. I don't have I overlooked that. Um, <laughs> but but I started that in 2018 mm. and, I, and I should be done. I'm just at, at this point, the paper phase. Let, um, but that should be done this spring. And awesome. I studied I studied with Earl Yao um, my first few years there, who was he's retired now. Um, mm. uh, uh, Dr. Carly Vina is is, yeah. is running, running. It's at Shenandoah Conservatory. Okay, yeah. Running. Sorry, she's running. Um, it's getting late, right? She, <laughs> my, she's running um, the percussion department there. And a funny yeah. story: we were actually at Maryland together. And oh, so um, nice. yeah. So she, I'm done with lessons. So yeah. I did. I did all my lessons with Earl with, with the Al. Um, he was a retired. Temp, he's former timpanist with the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra. Mm-hmm. So again, another great timpani teacher. And so yeah, yeah. Um, been very fortunate in that in that regard. But awesome. he's um, he's retired now. I think he's writing and. You know, just enjoying enjoying that retirement retirement phase. Yeah, whatever that's going to be like. I, you know, yeah, shoot, that, that's that a long ways away. I think you know, <laughs> you know. I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens with Bitcoin. Bitcoin, and Tesla keep 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 jumping. It might <laughs> might get here a little sooner, but not not by much. <laughs> yeah. Were you when you were teaching um, in between, or you know, during? I should say, not it wasn't in between, but when you were doing when you were teaching high school, uh, was that only at one place, or were you moving around? It's funny, kind of thinking about these things and kind of thinking back. Like I, I feel like I've lived a bunch of lives. So yeah, I actually taught. It was elementary and middle school, mm. um, um, band and orchestra, d- different times. Sometimes elementary, sometimes middle, um, band and orchestra. Um, high school, I've done like just you know like. Uh, Teaching drum lines or percussion ensembles or lessons, what have you. My full time teaching was either was an elementary or middle school band and orchestra. Um, the schools where I taught, they, they were early days, and so we were done at about two thirty, three o'clock. Mm-hmm. So then I'd have you know the rest of the afternoon to practice or take gigs in the evening. So you know they were busy, busy days. But I was able to you know I was really driven, so I was able to you know make it happen. The, so were you doing when you were teaching uh, like ensemble, like your actual main job was with with the ensembles, not necessarily percussion focused, but like. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing like elementary school band, you know, like elementary school strings and like, like, you know, the acts they doing the doing the band director life, you know. Mm. Yeah. Did you enjoy that? I, I did. You know, it's funny. I, I like I said, I've always had kind of an equal passion for teaching. I, I love I really enjoy teaching. And so um and my plan was to always kind of do that. Well, start off doing that, and 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 you know try to save some money, and 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 eventually branch off of that, and and be more of a professional percussionist. That was kind of always my plan. Yep. Um. And so I'm more or less stuck to that. I, I, Ten years is a little bit longer than I originally thought, but um, but but I'm grateful for that time because I really learned a lot about just how to be professional, how to be organized, how to. You know, you know, just uh, work with people, both students and adults, mm-hmm. a, a lot of leadership skills and, 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 you know, problem solving skills. And, you know, I learned a lot. I developed a lot in, the, in those 10 years. So I, I'm grateful for that time. Yeah. At what point did you decide or feel like you needed to go back and get a master's? I wanted to continue to develop as a percussionist. I mm-hmm. wanted to continue to just, you know, get better. And I wanted to focus on excerpts and, and, 
and trying to at the, at the time I wanted to take auditions and 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 excuse me, see where that could take me. Um, you know, regret. I guess I don't know if regret is the right word, but I I never took as many auditions as I would have liked to. Mm-hmm. I I never had the kind of that time or season in my life where I could just take six months and yeah. just you know live in a practice room and just devote my whole life. I always had to work and pay bills, yeah. and you know I just didn't have that season in life, and so. Yeah. Um, but again, I, you know, I freelance, I play extra with Richmond, I play the orchestras of the gateways and then cover music. And so I'm playing all the time now and I love it. Mm-hmm. And actually, to be honest with you now, I really enjoy the variety that I have with my career as opposed to just kind of doing the same thing every week. And the way I'm wired, I think I, I like this better. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going out, to, I'm going out to LA next week to play with a group out there and then awesome. And then pace it after that, yeah. and then and then after that, I'm back in Richmond. So it's kind of like just just different, you know. The variety is a lot of fun. Yeah. What was it like to go back as a student, while and and more importantly, as a student who is who is actually teaching and having to maintain that while also being a student? <laughs> you know, it it was a lot. I mean, because it's kind of like you know, a lot of students, a lot of young people like you were saying, go right into their masters out of undergrad. Yeah. And so in a lot of ways you're, you're, you're still, you're still kind of a, I won't say a kid, but you, you're, you're not as the maturation process. Yeah. It's different. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I come into it being a professional educator for the last four years. And so, you know, I'm having to get up at, and be at work at seven thirty, Yeah. And, and, and then, you know, till two forty five or whatever, then get over at school at three fifteen for rehearsals and lessons and practicing. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it forced you to be very uh regimented and disciplined, you know, just to yeah. get it all done. You know, it's funny. A lot of it <laughs> a lot of it's kind of a blur now, I think I just sure. was just hit just was hitting the hitting the hitting the ground so hard. You yeah. know, but um you know it got it got done. <laughs> yeah. And what how did how did it come to that you decide Okay, I this part of my and the I'm talking about the teaching part, the the full time teaching part. When you say okay, I this actually I I need to be done with this. Yeah, I think for me, so backtrack a little bit. I taught yep. six years band and orchestra um, in Prince George's County, a mm-hmm. little bit of elementary, a little bit of middle school, and then I taught for four years in D.C. at a charter school. Okay. Um, and so that charter school was very rigorous in terms of the demands on the students and the teachers. And yeah. so I was contractually, I had to be there from 7.30 to 5.30. Yeah. And and oftentimes I'm there later than that, you sure. know, doing all kinds of different things. And so um, four years of that was, was enough for me, <laughs> yeah. you know, but, but in all honesty, I learned a lot in that time too. And so I'm grateful sure. for that time. But, yeah. But, 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 but that, that four years was enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, that's what part of the reason I, I asked that is because I it feel like sorry, there are times when there's a point where you're just like you know, I, I, yeah, something's got to change. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I and I'm the kind of person where you know, I I look ahead a lot. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and there's pros and cons to that, but I, yeah. I look ahead a lot, and so. I'm the kind of person where, you know, if I say to myself, okay, you know, I'm, I think I'm pretty much done with this. I'll probably still stick it out another year mm-hmm. just to, to keep the consistency of the income and, and, and plan out what's next. Yeah, yeah. I'm, st- I'm not going to just abruptly, oh, I quit. Yeah, and yeah, then, yeah. You know, you know, I'm typically not that kind of person. Like I, I knew 
by the middle, middle of that third year that this is going to be it. <laughs> and so I still stay on another year just to financially and just plan what's next and all that. Mm-hmm. And then, and then I was able to leave on my terms. Awesome. That's it's kind of all you want, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. I, do you, you know, thinking on that time when you're just, when you're, when you are like nearing the end, um, w- did you have any, and I understand the planning part and like, you know, leaving on your own terms, but um, w- did you have any issues just staying motivated? Good question. I was ready to go. That's, that's for okay. certain. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, but I, you know, again, I, you know, I really do enjoy working with young people. And so, you know, I, I take, um, take that very serious, the impact yeah. and influence that I have on young people. And so I, I don't ever want to shortchange sure. what, what, what I, what I give them. And I, and I, and some people say that kind of, you know, to be, to be, you know, corny or it's, the, sure. it's like the right thing to say, but I really mean that. Like I really care about young people and care about what I'm giving them. And so, and so that keeps me, um, you know, motivated enough. But but certainly, you know, but I was still counting. I was still X out the days on the calendar. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's keep it real, you know, you know, so. Yeah. <laughs> there, there was a countdown clock on the oh, phone. Uh, one, yeah. 100%. 100%. <laughs> well, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, they, they don't, I'm sure that, 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 you know, the, um, whenever you see like the old cartoons where it's just like a bunch of X's on the, yeah. like, I'm sure that, that, that is from a real. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> That's I'm sure. So, all right. So I finish up with a segment called random ass questions. Yeah. Cool. I all like right. it. Awesome. All right. So first couple are not random, but the first question is what's an issue in either percussion education or percussion performance that most gets under your skin or drives you the most nuts? Wow. Oof. Good question. I think I'm going to go education. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe I think I have one for each. Okay, Edu- cool. if, if I can. Education, yeah, education when band directors don't give the same level of seriousness to percussion as they do other instruments but yeah. then want to complain about having, you know, kind of subpar results or outcomes from their percussionists. In other words, like if a clarinet player makes a mistake, they're more prone to be given, you know, instruction to be taught on how to fix things. Whereas percussionists just get yelled at half the time right. when they make mistakes. And so they're not often given the same level. And of course I'm overgeneralizing. I'm not saying all directors are that way, yeah. but it's, it's enough of an issue to where it needs to be addressed a lot of times. You know, they're not given the same level of resourcing, the same level of, of pedagogical seriousness, yeah. but then they're expected to deliver the same way everyone else does. And so and so that I think we have a lot of implicit as well as explicit learning biases going on in our band in our band rooms around percussions. And that that makes that that frustrates me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and, think, it's, and it's, the, it's like the uh, the, um, you know, the fact that they. You know, it's like the woodwinds have bad intonation or something like that, which is, you know, that's a long term problem. But sure. like if you miss the triangle hit, it's like immediate, like, we've got to stop. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's more of like teaching through humiliation right. as opposed to just like teaching. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Know, it's, it's like it's a novel concept sometimes. Yeah, yeah. But um, that, and then um, in the performance world, 
sometimes things not being organized logistically as far as equipment. And so I'm at a point now where most of the gigs that I play, the equipment's provided for me, whether it's rented or the group owns it. And so um, if those things are not properly coordinated in advance and like, you know, either we get, you know, just things are not organized around equipment can um, frustrate me. Maybe I've become a little bit of a diva over the years, but... (laughs) <laughs> but, but, but 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 doggone I I I want what I asked for, you know what I'm saying? So don't 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 screw it up. <laughs> we'll, leave, we'll, we'll, leave, we'll leave it at that. Yeah. Like All right, awesome. Okay, next question. Take this wherever you want to go. Being a percussionist who is also an African American man. Just well, take it wherever you want to go. As I was saying before, you know. As percussionists, we have a unique opportunity to really sort of be, in many ways, a pioneer for reflecting what true equity should look like. Because percussion exists in every single culture on the planet, um, we can really, like I said, sort of be, be the ambassadors for what we want to see across across the spectrum. And so I take that role very serious in what I do and, and being able to advocate and highlight not only different styles of music, um, which is very important, but also making sure that students, um, young black students and students of other minorities as well, get opportunities and access that other students may not have. That's the big reason of why I started, why I started with my percussion academy and the music academy is, is to be a platform just for that. And And I'll say this, I believe in collaborating, I believe in being inclusive, and I, I appreciate um when when other organizations want to um, support and 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 partner in that way, I do also am very strongly committed to seeing to it that my that I and people who look like me are, are lead our own organizations and make sure that it's it's we take the responsibility to to do what we want to see happen right and, and kind of be in those positions because you know I I can. You know, I can beg and plead until, you know, I'm, I'm blue in the face, but but I know it'll get done right if I do it. So I'm going to step up and I'm going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, it's a great point. And it's um, you, and this kind of gets to, uh, you know, we we talked a little bit about kind of systems in mm-hmm. place and, you know, that it's it's one thing to um, to say to kind of provide the lip service. Mm-hmm. for for this kind of thing but it's another if you're actually um you know if you're f- trying to trying to create a relationship you know in this situation not just a not just a one-off thing right 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 partnership <laughs> exactly exactly and i think that's um that that's very very important um, it's very important for for us to to seek those partnerships out, and also in addition, just like I said, for us to, us to create to do things for ourselves and 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 see to it that we have our own legitimacy in and of ourselves as well. Yeah, yeah, no, excellent. And and the other the the one other aspect I think, which and this is gets to kind of the the orchestral section situation is just that you that the young students see people who look like them in these positions absolutely and know that that's a a path that they can take if they if they want it that's very important too i think a lot of the reason why sometimes you'll see different 
percussionists and different players in, in different kind of silos and camps is because they see more of themselves in certain camps than yeah. others, right? And so yeah. that representation aspect of it is is immensely important as well. All right. I have some other questions, a little less uh, less serious. It's um, all good. <laughs> <laughs> um, has anyone ever nailed an impression of you? And if so, how'd they do it? Oh, man. You know, I <laughs> that's... That's a good question. So I had a, a former student who just graduated last school year mm-hmm. who um, <laughs> was awesome at impersonations. Um, but I don't know if he, I don't know if he impersonated me. He impersonated other students, the band director. Yeah. I don't know. He he's you know, I, I love coffee. So he's always making fun of me about being kind of a coffee addict. <laughs> and actually, you know, he did kind of impersonate me, but I don't know if I can do it because he'd always like he'd always kind of like impersonate my voice as being like kind of real deep and gravelly and always yeah. sipping coffee and, uh, so he would kind of like he would do a lot of that you know so actually actually no yeah so he would he would um yeah but shout out to nick spicer he's a funny <laughs> funny impersonator yeah that's awesome <laughs> gotcha all right what is the most impractical item of clothing you own oh wow you know i'm i'm <laughs> i'm very functional when it comes to clothing and i'm actually Trying to maybe be a little more fashion forward or whatever, but um, that's why exactly I'm not because I don't even know how to how to describe it. But um, <laughs> I don't probably have anything, man. I'm 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 as plain Jane, boring as <laughs> when it comes to fashion. I, I everything I have is practical and functional, and nothing is just just yeah. uh, for aesthetic purposes. I don't think. I got gotcha. you. Um, yeah, sorry. Yeah. There's no uh, there's no uh, Cal Ripken uniform from 1996 that just happened. <laughs> you know, I do have some old some T-shirts. Yeah, but yeah. it's probably not. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's probably not much. <laughs> <laughs> probably not much. I'm, I'm looking around now. I'm looking around now. I don't have any. Yeah, it's, it's all like, yeah, it's all lame. It's all lame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious! All right, what is what is a great movie and what is a terrible movie? Oh man, *Sin of a Woman*. Al Pacino is one of my favorite actors. Is my awesome. favorite, probably my favorite movie of all time. One of my favorite movies. A terrible movie. Um, *Dude, Where's My Car*? But it's funny though too. So. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? Maybe it's I don't know. It's 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 funny. Terrible. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Yeah. You can stay with that answer. That's fine. Okay. All right. That's cool. Yeah. That works. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Uh, do you have a favorite book? Uh, well, C.S. Lewis is a I love very um, yeah. probably my favorite, my favorite author. Um, probably the, the uh, probably the problem of pain. <laughs> getting heavy again, but the, the problem of pain by C.S. Lewis is probably my favorite. Oh. My favorite. My favorite book. What I don't that, know. I don't know that one. What is that? Yeah. It it just kind of talks about. Um, sort of the, the purposes of pain and why we go through things that are painful um, and just kind of, yeah, just kind of the, 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 the purposes in that and, and ways to kind of extract wisdom from painful situations. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I love his, um, his books in general, miracles and, you know, um, weight of glory, all, all of his stuff, but yeah. Yeah. Something, something along those lines. Awesome. I read screw tape letters at some point. Yeah. That's a great one too. That's a great yeah. one. That's fascinating. That, that, that is a great one. Yeah. Where is somewhere that you have not traveled to that you still want to get to? Morocco. Okay. <laughs> a particular I, reason? I love North Africa. I think it's just beautiful. Mm-hmm. I love a lot, a lot of the music and culture and, 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 like, and like the foods and seasonings, yeah. the spices and stuff like that. And so, yeah. you know, 
Um, I would love to visit Morocco at some point. Cool. All right. Related question. What is your biggest kitchen mess up? <laughs> you know, so, so cooking is a hobby of mine. I really okay. enjoy it. Um, along with like, so I, reading sports cooking are probably my three main hobbies and so um i I enjoy cooking so i my my dad and growing up in my house my dad did most of the cooking in my house my mom you know can cook she's my dad just did most of it yeah and he always said kind of two rules when you cook you 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 season as you go Mm -hmm. and 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 you clean as you go oh yeah (laughs) that's good and so and so i i really don't I really don't. I don't make a mess when I, when I clean. Sure. Like, when, I, when I cook, like, I, I season each I season each ingredient as I go. Mm-hmm. And like if, it, if I use a, a bowl to prep yeah. when it's cooking, I'm I clean out that prep bowl. When I put you know what I'm saying. Oh, you know, so I just, I don't have a mess when I'm yeah, not yeah. when I'm not cleaning the kitchen. Yeah. So gotcha. well, what I well uh, so so the uh, the other kind of side of that is uh, a, uh, a time you cooked tried to cook something and it just. Oh, 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 okay. Got you. Okay. Yeah. Orzo, orzo, orzo. Oh, orzo. Pasta. I'm, I'm terrible. <laughs> I just don't do, I mean, I, and I, I think I'm a pretty doggone good, good cook in general, but I yeah, can yeah. do the small, the small granny pastas. I just don't yeah. do well with yeah. larger pastas. I, I, I'm pretty doggone good, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> the small granny ones. I just don't. Yeah. Nah. You know, it's what's uh, hilarious about the, the consistency is just, it's hard to get that consistency. It's so hard. Right. Well, it's it's like you. I it's one of those. I feel like that it's it, there's like this win, small window of time where it's going to be mm-hmm. like if you if you're early or late, it's 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 a that, problem. That's it. That's it. That's it. it. It's like it's like doing a um an over easy egg, right? It's right. just like they have that small window. Yeah. But I, I love over. I cook those all the time, so I'm I'm pretty, uh-huh. I'm kind of I'm kind of a master at those. But nice. <laughs> but no, but orzo is horrible. I'm terrible. Yeah. 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 And then, well, the good thing also with just any egg is, is if you go too long, you're just like, hey, scrambled. You go with scrambled. Right. Like, that's true. <laughs> that's true. But I, I, I like I, I like a, I like a runny yolk. But that's true. Okay. That's true. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> oh, that's, that's <laughs> I, the, the funny thing is, is um, I don't know if you've ever done any of like the Blue Apron or um, the HelloFresh, like, you know, the ones that. that yeah. 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 The, yeah. I, I haven't. I, I, I've been meaning to try those, actually, but I, but I haven't yet. Yeah. They're quite good, but one of the things, and this this gets to your point, is that the thing that I just had never done was, you know, every step it's like season the taste with salt and pepper, season the taste with salt and pepper, and I was like, oh, oh, oh I get it now. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's like, and so like, I think one of the secrets is like, you know, you you like you're saying, you season every part. You don't wait, you yes. don't put it all together and then season at the end. You season each part. That's how you get flavors really kind of infused. Yeah, you know, in in what you're preparing. You know, and I think yeah. once we get the different complexities and flavor profiles and stuff. All right, see, look, baseball and cooking, man. You're gonna get me here all night, man. I'm That's awesome. You, going all all night, man. <laughs> you know. All right, wait, okay. So so then the next the related question is when you go when you go home. Is there like what is there like one item you're like you have to eat this or this needs to be made for me like as I'm walking in the door? So like when like I go your home, father like someone someone in your family, family is just gonna make it like oh, please make this um, immediately. Um, I I would say well I would say a couple of this but I would yeah. say my um my aunt's macaroni and cheese oh. um <laughs> yeah. like like 100 that has to be done <laughs> um you know and and I would say my um. My uncle's ribs. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. 
since you mentioned singing, you know, you did did, did the singing, uh, you know, in church or, or however. Yeah, time, right. Yeah. Um, what is your go to karaoke song? Oh man, <laughs> it's been years since I've done that, but mm. um, you know, I used to do a, um a decent um. Al Green, let's stay together. I'm gonna be honest. Oh. I used to do a decent one, you know. I'm not gonna show it now, but but I but I <laughs> but nice. I used to do a decent one back when I would uh, do that more, you know. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I, I'm just I'm imagining you your your baritone gravel voice singing, singing on You know, I I you know it's it's too late now in the sure. day and the night, but like a certain. In the middle of the day, I got a decent falsetto. I must okay. say, early in the morning, late at night, but in yeah. the middle of the day, I can have a decent falsetto. Nice, <laughs> very cool. All right, last couple. Uh, what is yeah. a, um, strangest, funniest, or most bizarre performance moment that involves you? Oh, you know what? So one time in college, it was a uh, sophomore year. Um, we were doing maybe eighteen twelve overture or something. I don't know what we were doing, but like you know, the percussions are all in the back of the stage. And uh, the way our stage is set up is kind of tiered level, so we're at the top level. And um, behind us is kind of like a, a lift gate that loads in the equipment. Oh, and sure. So, and so, you know, the lift gate's down because the concert is going on, and the doors are closed. But we, we, we were sitting down on the top level of the stage, and now they have like a little lip that kind of keeps your chair from falling back. <laughs> back then, they didn't have that. <laughs> and so... <laughs> We're literally like in the middle of playing. Yeah. One one of the guys is sitting down. He's not playing in that particular section or whatever. And he literally just falls. <laughs> he literally just falls all the way back. And like he falls back. The the, the, the doors of the back of the of the stage open up and he just <laughs> falls back. Oh my goodness. <laughs> he's completely just out of his chair, off the he just falls off the back of the stage in the middle of the performance. <laughs> And that was hilarious. And I mean, oh. and thankfully, he usually was okay. He wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't. He wasn't hurt. But I mean, he just took a huge tumble on the back of the stage <laughs> in the middle of the performance. I mean, we, were, we, we, yeah. Were Were you Were you actually playing at the time? Or, or oh, did, I was. You, I was playing. So did, you just hear the like, <laughs> Yeah, you just turn around and just start trying to start laughing. I think I was playing bass drum. You just turn around trying to start start laughing. Instead of players, I was busting out laughing. We're just laughing like crazy in the middle of the performance, and the doors open up. You just fall off the stage. <laughs> Conductor keeps going, you know, it's nice. just like, hey. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> and now now that's like, the only, if you see that person, you're like, that's the only, that's like the yeah. first thing that comes to your mind. Yep, yep, yep. I think he's a lawyer now. He's not even in the, <laughs> I, I, think, I think that might have ended his, no, no, no he, he's, he, he's, he's a lawyer now, yeah, so that's funny. Uh, oh, that's hilarious. Awesome. Yep. All right, uh, Donnie, last question. <laughs> yeah. One piece of art. Could be music, movies, books, podcasts, YouTube clips, theater, visual art, poetry, whatever has impacted you the most recently. Oh man, that's good. I so I am a big um, Marvin Gaye fan. I, I love I love his songs and, and I love um, Nikki Giovanni's uh, poems. Oh, so I, I think between those two, I would say uh, you know Marvin Gaye lyrics and, and, and Nikki Giovanni poems. Yeah, I think really, uh, yeah. What's in particular songs and or particular poems that stick out to you? And just talks about it's just beautiful music, beautifully orchestrated, and kind of just it's pretty much just about <laughs> the life of a bird, life of a sparrow, and kind of just how 
you know, the way he describes it, kind of just how carefree they are, but yet just so observant and the way they're able to just kind of fly around and, and um, kind of just take in all the, the beautiful aspects of life and nature. Um, and then uh, Nikki Giovanni, there's so many, so many poems she wrote that are great, that are great, but one uh, Gemini just kind of talks about a lot about just sort of um, uh, kind of man and woman relationships and just kind of interactions and how we, kind of need each other and what, what, what we, what we give, what we offer to each other. And um, there's a lot, a lot of depth in that as well. So, yeah. Donnie, we are done. This was fun. Thank you so much. Of course. My pleasure. Yeah. It was a lot of, a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I, I think you, uh, you do, you do a really good job with this. I, mean, I, I like, I like how you, you kind of cover, you know, you cover everything, you know, you, you, you in the field, out of the field, high, low, high, low, you know, light, light, heavier. Like, yeah, you have, I'm, I really enjoy this interview. You do a good job with this. Thank you so much. I really appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. What a total blast getting to chat with Donnie. Fortunately, I was able to connect with him a few times during PASIC, most notably at the end of the conference at a hang in a bar in the Weston Hotel, where I also ran into, as mentioned in the show, previous podcast guest and meeting him for the first time in person, Javon Gilliam. In any case, it was awesome to talk to Donnie there and chat with him at PASIC, and I wish him the best as he finishes up his doctoral degree and get to see where his career takes him. This week's rave is the 1975 book, The Greatest, My Own Story. It's an autobiography written by Muhammad Ali along with Richard Durham. It's frequently hard to gauge who is the greatest and or the most important athlete of all time. The sports are so varied, the comparisons don't always work, and there's a whole lot of folks whose life and times matter as much or more than their actual athletic achievements. But one person who manages to have major athletic achievements along with an enormous cultural influence is Muhammad Ali. Ali, many years after his passing, still looms large in the world of sports, politics, health, peace and anger, etc. In this autobiography, written just after the apex of his boxing career, one year removed from his win over George Foreman in the Rumble in the Jungle in 1974, and just after he beat Joe Frazier in their final boxing match, the Thriller in Manila. This was at a point in his career where Ali was still at the peak of not only his mental powers, but his physical ones as well, prior to the havoc that Parkinson's disease would put him through for the remaining 35 years of his life. Part of the greatness of this book is that Ali, along with biographer Richard Durham, are able to showcase Ali's voice. And if there's one thing that people know about Muhammad Ali, it's his voice. It is very obvious, if you've heard him speak, that this is presented in his voice for the entire time. And it really goes into some amazing areas. Two of those areas are conversations that are recorded and are presented verbatim. One is with his first wife, who gets into exactly why that marriage didn't work, and her own issues with transforming her life from Christianity to Islam. It's as open a forum on marriage that you'd ever get to hear. 
Another conversation is between Joe Frazier, the previously mentioned, and Muhammad Ali, recorded one year prior to their first of three matches, a fight of the century that many boxing fans consider the greatest fight and one of the greatest sporting events of all time and would be Muhammad Ali's first professional loss. It's when Ali and Frazier, who would go on to be enemies for much of the rest of their lives, were still friendly with each other and attempting to help each other out, particularly as Joe Frazier tried to keep Muhammad Ali afloat during the three and a half years of his exile from boxing through his issues of not going to Vietnam. There are sections in the book about training, his upbringing, his scouting other fighters, how he converted to Islam, civil rights, how his fights were frequently popular because so many folks wanted to see him get knocked out, maybe as much as they wanted to see him win, etc. There's a lot to digest here about American history, sports, fame, publicity, and money. It's all here, and it's a tremendous read. If you can find it, read The Greatest. You'll be glad you did. And that's our show. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment and a rating. You can always find every episode and the show notes at the homepage at PeteZambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast, the episodes. The show is also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast locations. If you're on Facebook, like the page Pete's Percussion Podcast. You can find me there on Instagram and Twitter at Pete Zambito or by email at Pete's at gmail.com. And I'll catch you next time. Until then.